and welcome to a new episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister, and if you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, that would be great. Leave a review, let us know how we're doing. But this week is the anniversary episode. We've made it one year, that's right, one full year of all interviews for once a week from all people that we've well, actually wanted to say hi to us, but we have our first guest from our very first episode, Sharon Audie's with us, and we're going to be talking again about robocalling and all the things that you may not know about it if you didn't listen to the first episode, but she is part of iConnective, which helps with bad robocalls, so there's a difference between good and bad robocalls, so she's going to tell us a little bit more about that, but welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you, thank you, and congratulations. I'm an avid listener, so uh, congratulations on the one-year anniversary. Thank you. But the first question I ask all my guests is, are you coffee or tea drinker? Yes, I'm familiar. So I am a water drinker. I don't drink coffee or tea. So water is my drink of choice. It's all good, eh? Coffee is made from water. So it's one of those things and you just need water. But can you give us a little bit brief thing about what your company is all about and how it's going to be fighting robocalls? Certainly. So I connected is in the telecommunications space and has been since part of the original AT&T company before it was divested. We make software that helps communication networks run and basically make sure that information is able to seamlessly be exchanged and shared through the interconnection of information across networks globally. Gotcha. And Considering robocalls, can you give us a little bit or our listeners a brief description? I said good and bad, but how can people delineate from the good and the bad robocalls? So it's a little difficult for the average consumer to truly be able to delineate between legal robocalls and illegal robocalls. And that is because they rely on information that's presented to them about the caller that comes up on the device. So here in the United States, the government has been very active with the service providers and the telecommunications industry to make sure that work can be done to provide authenticated, verifiable data on that caller ID so that a consumer will have confidence and know exactly which business is actually calling them um, before they pick up the phone. And there's a number of different ways that that is happening, and it can happen from the service provider level, it, it certainly can happen at the national level. There is new regulations that have been put in place to make sure that the entire industry is all rowing in the same direction and making sure that that authenticated and verifiable caller ID is presented to a consumer. Gotcha. And with the new working from home thing, how worse has the rebel, illegal robocalling gotten since we're all stuck at home, working from home, having fun at home, and all the homebody stuff? We are definitely home. That's true. So fraudsters are really clever, and it's certainly their job to fool you. So it's really less about, wow, there's more people working from home, because really those same people are connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether they're on a train commuting or in a car or in an office. So. The fraudsters are quick learners. They quickly adapt to find the places where they can kind of almost prey on consumer kind of concerns, right? And so what we saw in 2020 specifically 
was certainly the number of robocalls increased and the number of scams um, increased as well. But they played on things around COVID vaccinations or potential cures or contact tracing. And they played on people's fears and more people were insulated. They were home. They didn't maybe have access to as many conversations or people. And so their anxiety level goes up as well. So fraudsters recognized this and they struck pretty quickly. We saw the numbers start to rise as early as the end of March relative to the scams that were coming out specifically around the pandemic and magic potions and cures for COVID. Yeah, that would seem pretty interesting, or at least the people doing the robocalls is like, oh, higher anxiety, so we'll make like almost apocalyptic robocalls, it seems like, for COVID. So did we see more rise in COVID, illegal COVID robocalls? There was, yes. The number of complaints to the FCC surged, and they were around COVID-specific information. Either, again, people were calling and saying that they had a cure and that they needed to kind of get it right away because it was limited, or they would call and give information about vaccinations before, of course, the vaccination was even available. And uh, contact tracing, they would try and prey on people, hey, we understand that you've been in contact with somebody, and so we need you know, all of your information because you could be putting other people at risk. And so they really do play on people's emotional core to try and get them to release information to them that they would then be able to leverage for their own financial gain. And it's really important when you're in a heightened emotional state anyway, to make sure that you're just, you, that you try and stay like calmer, like you don't want to be rushed, right? That's one of the techniques they use. Let me, let me try and make this seem like really urgent. Um, you don't want to let like scare tactics influence your common sense principles, right? So that's another tactic they will use. They'll try and scare you. Like you're putting people at risk, right? But you're not. And you don't want to be desperate for either information or solution or cure. Um, so as any consumer, it's always best, especially in heightened situations like that, to be a little bit more skeptical maybe than you normally might be, especially when someone's calling you out of the blue. Be a lot more vigilant on let me get more information, let me be very thorough, just be more vigilant in what you know before you release anything and a lot more thoughtful. I would treat these phone calls in some ways as if somebody was trying to like break into your home, right? Because after all, they are trying to break into your life, but they're just doing it digitally and anonymously. So the same kind of precautions that you would put in if a stranger came to your door unexpectedly should be the, that defense mechanism should kick in for you as a person when a phone call comes in that you're not expecting that all of a sudden seems urgent, uh, is asking for personal information, and it's really kind of preying on some kind of emotional factor. Gotcha. And speaking from the PR side of it, how can companies like the CDCs and other companies that kind of work maybe in the medical field help with combating like what's the real call, what's the fake call, that type of thing. How can PR people actually combat that? Because I'm pretty sure there needs to be some type of education. So what should they be doing? So there's been a tremendous amount of work and there continues to be both work and solutions that are available that help legitimate businesses get their phone calls and their text messages verified. So for any government organization or legitimate business, the best thing that you can do is kind of plug into these 
national regulations and service provider initiatives that allow your phone number to be verified to the end user. Um, again, whether or not the consumer decides to pick up the phone is still the consumer's choice, but having your information presented and verifiable, you know, things like a, a check mark that says, yes, this is in fact who it, it, it's pretending to be or pretending to be would help. And so there is, again, there's legislation. So the, it's called the Telephone Robocall Abuse Criminal Enforcement and Deterrence Act, better known as the TRACE Act. And it increases fines for spam and robocallers and things like that. But more importantly, it also requires the phone companies, service providers, to adopt what they call these call authentication technologies. And it's those technologies that will verify that the incoming calls are in fact legitimate before they ever get to a consumer. So that is probably the best thing that businesses can do and organizations can do is just make sure that they are plugged in to those initiatives because that's presented as verified. Which kind of goes into one of my other questions that I know that T-Mobile has like an app for it and it's a mostly free app for at least combating some of the rebel calls. Has the other companies tried to do that as well? I haven't really seen too much from Verizon or anybody like that. Have they tried to combat the bad rebel calls as well? Absolutely. So service providers, all of them, T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, have all rolled out a number of initiatives to help stop or protect, I should say, the consumers. And, and applications is one way to do that. Call analytics is another way to do that. And there's probably blocking more phone calls than you even realize. Again, you know how many you get. You'd be surprised at how many they're stopping that you never see at the service provider level, at the app level as well. But unfortunately, some of those kinds of fixes, like call blocking technology, may also inadvertently stop or penalize legitimate businesses and different calls from call centers from coming through. And so if you over-rotate and you mark legitimate businesses as spam or potential spam, we probably all have seen these on our phones, again, inadvertently hurting these legitimate businesses. And so this, this kind of centralized approach to verify the information and verify the caller helps stop that kind of impact of legitimate businesses. So when a call is made from one service provider's network and delivered on that same network, so if I am a business customer of T-Mobile and I'm calling a T-Mobile subscriber, it's very easy for me to verify that information. It's all sitting in my same network. But as it goes from one service provider to multiple ones, as it jumps to a network, it could go from T-Mobile to Verizon or maybe AT&T, it's important that that verifiable information stays with that call the entire time. And that's what the um, larger kind of database is doing to help verify the calls across networks as, as phone calls get interconnected. Gotcha. And do you think 5G will at least, it will accelerate it or will it help bring new tools to combat the illegal robocalls? So I don't know if 5G will have an impact on the number of calls, nor do I think it would have an impact on, you know, again, this um, call authentication initiative that's going on. What it could potentially do is give the fraudsters different ways to try and dupe a consumer into either releasing information 
or again, giving out personal information. So the same rules always apply as a consumer on what you need to do. Does it look suspicious, et cetera? But I don't think that the technology itself will increase or decrease the number of calls specifically. Gotcha. And what are we going to be seeing from the telecom companies and your company as well in 2021 as it is to combating bad robocalls? Are we going to be seeing more sophisticated software or are we just going to be seeing more robust, simple ways of just trying to get rid of most of the illegal robocalls? So I connected specifically, we've been and have continued to roll out solutions that help legitimate businesses get their calls and text verified uh, so that, again, consumers themselves can decide if they want to respond or not. And they'll be able to do that by having some level of confidence, you know, is this really from the company that I'm seeing here? As a neutral third-party provider to telecom, iConnected, we don't provide phone service. We don't offer call blocking apps or any of the other types of technology that can help service providers decide whether or not a call is suspicious. We do not believe in bespoke solutions, so we don't want to see 15 different solutions that any one company might decide to deploy. Instead, we think that looking at the industry as a whole and having the industry deliver on this promise of verifying and protecting legitimate businesses, that's really where our focus is. And so we have been building the solutions to help businesses and consumers trust the interactions that they have, whether it be voice calls, again, text, text messages, or chatbots, which is another area that is just emerging with this new RCS technology, uh, which is, stands for Rich Communication Services. That really puts the power of the entire internet right into your native app, um, your text app. And that opens up different areas relative to e-commerce and transactions and sharing of information. We want to make sure that as consumers, as that rolls out and consumer adoption increases, that it is built from the beginning with a verifiable trust armor built all around it. So that's another area that we I connected is focused on, and certainly the industry as a whole is it's been already doing a tremendous amount of work in that area specifically. Gotcha. I mean, more of the RCS adoptions more through Android because of Apple's been doing it for quite a while. Am I right? So RCS is only Android. You're right about that. It, Apple has uh, not made a decision on whether or not they wanted to support this new protocol or not. But even though in the United States, Apple seems to be the predominant device, Globally, Android devices make up, I, I believe, the number is over 75% of the handset market. So outside of the United States, RCS technology on Android devices will certainly get adopted a lot quicker than potentially here in the States. Either way, we want to make sure that any interaction across that native tech device is protected, that the consumer is protected before they engage. Mm-hmm. And for PR pros, how can they make when we, the legal robocalls or what are some tips to make the legal robocalls or what are some tips to make a good chat bot? So, yeah, this is the tricky one, right? So I always say that trust is lost quickly and earned slowly. And there's a lot of skepticism to legitimate businesses and the PR people that you know represent them. There's a lot of ground to make up to regain that basic customer trust as more and more people aren't answering telephones are being suspicious of, of any tech robo text that might come through. And, and same with email. We see like a lot of email spam. So 
the, again, the best thing that legitimate businesses can do and the PR people uh, who support those businesses can, can encourage their businesses is the business decision is to get their business phone numbers registered in this national centralized database because that then verifies the information. It is then presented to the consumer as verifiable. That helps the business because a the call answer rates will increase customer satisfaction or you know the net promoter scores that a lot of business the call centers are rated against that will increase it'll be drive a lot more efficiency because phone calls will get answered and people will start talking again and right now we're seeing that that just isn't happening because the trust factor is gone we're eroding and do you think for businesses if you're like a PR person or any person that's actually working for a company, do you think they should have two different phones just to keep everything separate? Because my last episode with Dr. Cole, he was saying how you should separate personal and business. Would that help keep data and privacy a lot better with robocalls? Or do you think that just doesn't really matter? So I look just at the business number, somebody's personal phone number. If you're in my contact, you'll come up. So the chances of me the chances of a phone number coming through from a personal contact won't come up as spam or, again, you're, you're native to my device. Businesses in general, though, actually, typically, the larger businesses typically have lots of phone numbers, right, depending on the size of the business. And they also use multiple service providers to provide that service because there's redundancy and there's cost implications and all of that. So for just the phone numbers that are representative for the business itself, there should be many. They should all be registered in in the database um, because in doing so, they'll be presented regardless of what phone number comes through. When you think of like a call center, for instance, they may represent multiple companies. You know, that's the business they're in is to make phone calls on behalf of multiple companies. And I could pick up the phone and, and it would be assigned to a specific phone number. Like if I was a call center person, I could pick up the phone. It would assign me a phone number to make that outgoing call. And I could be calling on behalf of company X. When I hang up and pick up the phone again, I could be calling on behalf of company Y. And so it's very complicated when you think of companies that do business on behalf of other businesses, like call centers, and that there's different phone numbers coming from different service providers. Because phone numbers are actually assigned at the service provider level and then technically leased to the end user. And so one database of information that all the service providers can share to say, yes, this company is actually authorized to make calls on behalf of that brand is what the database will help solve. And what does the future of combating or even making robocalls look like in the next five years or so? Well, again, there's legislation in place. I think that's making a headway. I think that digital marketers and certainly PR people are understanding that they need to engage with consumers and gain their trust aside from literally putting business contacts into personal devices, right? So if my bank calls me, do I save them as a contact? That would help avoid it later looking potentially like a spam or something um, nefarious. But I believe that fraudsters will follow the money and the best defense is to make sure that people are aware of the things to look out for and not fall prey because when the money dries up they will find unfortunately they'll find a new attack mechanism or a new attack vector but it may not be the phone anymore it may be another initiative just again like we had seen in the early days of email where 
we would get these emails asking us to send money to foreign countries or such. So everything has its day and the PR people really have to make sure that those businesses that they represent that are super reliant on voice calls specifically to engage with their consumers, that they've got some basic tackling in place so that they are known to their customer and that their customer doesn't have to worry, is this really the company that they say they are? All right. And fun question for you. If you could create any legal or good robocall for yourself, what would it be? <laughs> so <laughs> I suppose that I would want a robocall that would be somehow like inspirational or maybe these days a little bit humorous. If I was to get a call, I would want it to be a like a welcome interruption right, that didn't ask me for anything or didn't request me to do anything. I think it was A.L. Milne who said something like, you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. I think I'd like my robocall to deliver messages like that to people. All right. And any final thoughts for our listeners? Uh, I would say 2021 hopefully will be a very different year for the PR profession in general. And I think that we learned a lot, obviously, from everything that changed in our profession literally overnight due to the pandemic. And so I think that if we look back and say, hey, I didn't think I could pivot that quickly. I didn't think I could change or I didn't think my, the company I represented could change that quickly. There's probably a lot of aha moments that came out, some good aha moments that came out of 2020. And I think in some ways that people priorities have shifted and the PR, our PR efforts need to be mindful of that and pivot to respect that. As a population, we were basically shaken out of our comfort zone. And as PR people kind of desperate to communicate and we had tried some new things and there was probably some misses and there's probably some really good things that we learned to do more effectively. So I guess my thought is from a PR perspective in general, I think we've all in the profession emerged a little differently. Maybe our prim priorities or our perspective has shifted a little bit more. And I would look at that as a learning experience to really catapult some of the 2021 and beyond initiatives that might be on their plate. All right. Thank you, Sharon, for joining PR360 on our one-year anniversary for this podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate being there. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And leave a review. It does help us and let us know how we're doing. Join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys. Stay safe. Get some work done. Try to pivot as much as you can and be inspirational. All right. See you later.